Well, if you will, go ahead and start turning to 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, and if you're here, I would urge you to go back and get the outline. Uh, the outline will have all of the verses that I uh, put on my notes here. However, as you guys know, normally, and I've got a lot of notes, as I begin to work through it, I'll, uh, I'll add stuff on the fly. We're going to look at a topic. So I was contacted this week, and I was asked if I would speak on the topic of sanctification. I began to think back about the topic a little bit, and uh, I thought about both of the institutions where I went to school, and uh, we covered every verse that exists in the Bible, many of them numerous times. We even had classes that dealt with certain topics, but we never had a class on sanctification. As a matter of fact, as I went back and I began to look at uh, a number of speakers that I'm familiar with, I began to see if anybody had spent much time on this and I actually couldn't find any lessons on sanctification. Now, I speak on sanctification every week. Uh, you'll hear me use synonyms or words like justified. You'll hear me use words like righteous or like faithful. Uh, and you can't be justified or righteous or faithful without being sanctified. But we're going to look at this actually as, as a specific topic. And again, the reason we have the outline, uh, we don't do in, any easy lessons here. We do everything... At a, uh, at a scholar level, and I want you to be able to go back and verify every single thing that I've said. Uh, I told the person that requested this, I've, I did three different lessons on this. <laughs> I threw two of them away, and this is the one we're going to go with. I am going to approach this in a way that if you have never read your Bible at all, you ought to be able to come away with the understanding of what sanctification is. But we have to start with the most basic of basics when we begin to talk about sanctification, and that is, is we have to address first the idea of salvation. Now, salvation is a, probably the most important thing that is available to anyone today. Uh, it's a wonderful thing offered by a loving, merciful, and gracious Heavenly Father. And salvation comes to fruition when somebody is sanctified, when they are liberated from the bondage of sin, when they're redeemed from the debt of sin, and when they are justified from the consequence of sin. And you may say, that's an awful lot of stuff going on right there. We'll break that down a little bit more. And while salvation is offered to all, and I don't have any notes here. You could, you could jot down uh, John 3, 16 and 17. It's actually a promise to all who are faithful and live according to the Word of God. There's no doubt uh, that salvation is available for the faithful. Here's the point as I mention all of this regarding salvation. Everybody has the opportunity to be saved. But there are some people who will not be saved simply because they are not going to be sanctified through the truth. In 1 Peter 1, 22 through 25, we'll get this understanding. And let me, let me mention one more thing as we go through here. There is a Greek word that in our King James is oftentimes translated as sanctified. It's not always. Sometimes it's, it's listed as holy. Sometimes it's listed as purified. And there's some other words. But every time we see this word, hagias, I will tell you that's what that word is in the Scriptures. That way we're not confused as we work through the idea of sanctification. 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 22, I'm reading from the King James. Seeing ye have purified your souls, that word purified there is the Greek word hagias. It actually is the word that you'll oftentimes find sanctified. Okay? Seeing you have purified or sanctified your souls... In obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, 
This isn't in your notes, but the seed is the Word of God, uh, Luke 8, 11. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. All right, we have the starting process or the starting point of justification seen here in 1 Peter 1, verse 22. He says, obeying the truth through the Spirit. The result is, according to the word here in the Greek, you are holy, you are purified, you are sanctified. In essence, you are set apart, right? You have purified or sanctified your soul by obeying the truth. I don't think I'm surprising anyone when I say that we live in a very unclean, impure, unholy society. Uh, we could just turn the news on for a little bit and know that this in, indeed is a fact. Uh, but we as Christians are called to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be separate as the children of God. Now again, as I say that we are called to be holy or, or called, we're called by the God. This isn't in your notes. We're called by the gospel, 2 Thessalonians 2.14. That's literally what it says. We're called by the gospel. And that makes sense here because we are purified through the truth. Let me give you the definitions before we move on. The word sanctify, the Greek word there, hagiazo. You'll find it as hagias and a bunch of other variations depending on which form it is in the Greek. That word simply means to separate from things which are profane and to dedicate oneself to God. That's what the word sanctify means. The word sanctification is a big word, hagiosmos. It actually means one separated to God. Again, the idea is, as the follower of, of Christ, is set apart. That should make sense to us when we look at the word church. The Greek word is ekklesia. It means the called out ones, the separated ones. And that would make sense because the called out separated ones are sanctified or set apart on behalf of God. Now, the act of sanctification or, or cleansing is really the work of God. What I mean by this is simply, I can't save myself by myself. Uh, I could try to do all of the things perfectly by myself, but if not for the grace and mercy of God, I realize I can't save myself. Okay? But the process of sanctification requires the response of man. We've already noticed that in 1 Peter 1, where he talks about being purified by obeying the truth. Now, I'll touch on this a little bit more. But the idea is, is the work is the work of God, includes the work of man, and truth is at the core of that response. Again, that's why in 1 Peter 1, we see that we are obeying the truth through the Spirit. Now, some are confused by that. What does that mean? How do you obey the truth through the Spirit? Well, guys, this truth was given to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so when I obey this truth, I'm obeying the truth given through the Spirit. Now, you may think I'm oversimplifying some things, and I might be. We need to understand as we begin to look at sanctification, sanctification doesn't come by the way in which the world does things. Sanctification comes solely by truth, and we know that the world and truth often differ from each other or oppose each other. I'm going to go over to John chapter 8. I'm going to look at verses 31 through 32. We have Jesus' words here. And again, this would make sense why we, obey, uh, why we purify our souls through obeying the truth. In John 8, 31, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on Him, If ye continue in My word... Then are ye my disciples indeed, 
and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So Jesus here is actually starting to point towards sanctification and salvation. Now those in the audience probably didn't understand this at the time. But notice what Paul says over in 1 Timothy. Because we're going to look at all the verses that deal with sanctification and how this all plays together. Paul writes to Timothy by inspiration, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Now, I remember I, I had cited John 3, 16 and 17 earlier. Jesus came to save all men. We already realize that that's not going to happen apart from coming unto the knowledge of the truth. And so as we begin to talk about sanctification and wanting to be holy or set apart on God's behalf, we need to have an understanding that our attitude really ought to be like that of the psalmist. I'm going to read from Psalms 86.11. He says, Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Now, he's talking about being in the light. And I'm going to go over to 1 John 1, 6-7. And here's what we learn. It says, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness... Let me pause for a minute. If we're walking in darkness, this is the complete opposite, guys, of being, sanct of being sanctified. This is, this is completely being unsanctified. He says, But if we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light... Remember I just read from the psalmist who says, I will walk in thy truth. They're talking about the same thing. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. I'm going to talk about that cleansing here in a minute. Actually, a couple times I'll probably quote, the, I don't think I put the verses in here, but in Matthew 26, 28, we know that Jesus shed his blood for the remission of sins. Okay, That's how... Uh, Christ cleanses us from sin. He shed His blood. We have to come into contact with it. But here in 1 John 1, verses 6 and 7, He's talking about walking in light. That is talking about uh, the necessity for sanctification in us, a living according to His truth. Now, some would say, you're spending an awful lot of time talking about truth when the subject at hand really is the idea of sanctification. Why do you have to spend so much time on truth? Well, without truth, there can be no such thing as sanctification. That may seem unusual to many who have not spent a lot of time studying their scriptures, but as we begin to look through here, what you're finding is only the truth can purify and sanctify us. That's literally what we found in 1 Peter 1.22. Go on over to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm actually going to spend a little bit of time real quick looking at verses 25 through 27. Specifically, I'm going to focus in on 25 and 26. Uh, and we're going to see this word here translated uh, from the Greek, again, as sanctify. But that's not the only way it's translated. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 27. Paul writes to the church here in Ephesus. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify, there's that word, and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy. That word holy is the exact same Greek word as the word sanctify. Both of those could be translated as purified or sanctified or set apart. He says, but that it should be holy or sanctified and without blemish. So here's what we've learned so far just from this passage here. 
Christ loved the church so much that he died for it. What I mean is, is he literally was going to shed his blood on the cross, and he shed his blood for the remission of sins. Matthew 26, 28 gives us the reason why Christ had to die. If you wanted to be sanctified, Christ had to die. It says, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. There could be no remission of sins until Jesus Christ shed his blood. Okay? That's what we learn there in verse 25. Now you go to verse 26. We learn that Christ provided sanctification and cleansing by the washing of water by the word. Many get confused by this. But guys, I have the understanding here that this is exactly what Jesus was trying to teach Nicodemus when you go over to John chapter 3, verse 5. And most of us are very familiar with that conversation where Nicodemus came to him by night and he began to ask some questions and he really struggled with the kingdom. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. Let me pause and go back to the phrase in Ephesians 5, 26. It says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. Right? Our Word came through the Spirit. Here in John 3, 5, he says, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus is trying to tell Nicodemus about the church which is the kingdom. And guys, this is the only place where sanctification is available. Now, Jesus pronounces He's going to build His church, and His church is the kingdom. I'm going to go over to Matthew 16, 18 through 19, primarily for those maybe who haven't spent a lot of time in the Scriptures, but Jesus is pointing everybody to where sanctification is available. In Matthew 16, 18 through 19, he says, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, I know the King James says hell, that word is Hades, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Let me pause again. So he's going to build the church and then give the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Well, you don't build something and give the keys to something else. These two are one and the same, and there's a lot of verses that show that. And he says, And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. That actually in the Greek is translated, What you bind on earth has already been bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So what, you, what you've loosed here on earth or allowed, it's already been allowed in heaven. Right? The, the disciples are not going out and creating their own rules is what's being taught. Okay? And you're going to have the keys to the kingdom. The kingdom is the church. The keys were their preaching of the gospel, which was access into the church. Guys, that's where sanctification is. Now, the very first account we have of sanctification and the church taking place is seen in Acts chapter 2. So going over to Acts chapter 2, because Jesus was pointing to where sanctification was going to be found. In Acts chapter 2, we see this starting to come to fruition. Now again, I know I'm taking a little bit of a long road to get there, but I want this to be understood by anybody who's not a Christian and then we'll address the portion that's needed for those of us who are Christians. If you're not a Christian and you want to be sanctified, you've got to start with the church. Acts 2.38, this is the day the church actually came into existence. This is when Peter preaches the very first sermon there on the day of Pentecost. Starting in Acts 2.38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. All right, so you need, to, you need to repent, you need to be baptized for the remission of sins. Remember, I already mentioned Jesus shed His blood for the remission of sins. 
And then you're baptized for the remission of sins. We'll actually find that's where the contacting of the blood is. He goes on and says, And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Two things, not in your notes. If you want to know where that promise is, that is uh, Joel chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 2, if you're taking notes. Joel chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 2. But it says here again, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. How does he call? Let's go back to 2 Thessalonians 2.14. We're called by the gospel. Okay? I know I'm giving you a lot of notes and a lot of it's just by memory, but I do want you to be able to go back and verify everything, every single thing I've said. This is, I've spent a lot of time studying on this this week. He goes on, And with many other words did he testify and exhort, this is Peter, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. So they have a... They had the opportunity to take it amongst themselves to be part of this salvation process. There's something they have to do. Notice verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So Peter tells the crowd there in verse 40 they need to save themselves. And then in verse 41 we find that there are 3,000 who receive his word and they are baptized. Now you may say, how does this play into sanctification? Remember, I already told you Jesus was pointing to the place of sanctification. And when you slide on down just a couple verses in Acts 2.47, we find, "...praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved." If you are saved, a position of salvation, you are sanctified. You are righteous. You are faithful. Uh, you could use a number of terms... But the saved are the sanctified in the church, which is the kingdom, which is the body. And I'll give you a few more verses to prove that. But my, pro but my primary focus is this right now. Uh, no person can start the process of sanctification in their life until they have obeyed the gospel and simply put on Christ. I mean, if a person wants to be sanctified, you've got to start with the most very basic concept, and that is that you've got to be a Christian, and you have to be in the place where sanctification is available. Listen to Hebrews 5.9. And really, this ties in with 1 Peter 1.22 that we started with. And being made perfect, we're talking about Jesus, He became the author of eternal salvation, notice this, unto all them that obey Him. That's exactly what we found in 1 Peter 1.22, which talked about being purified by the obeying of the truth, right? It's the same thing. We're talking about sanctification being played out. Now, before I move on to my next point, really, what, what we need to understand is this. Jesus identifies both Himself and the Scriptures as being truth. Listen to John 14, 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So very quickly we learn that, that those who have never obeyed the gospel have never started the process of sanctification, which can only take place within the body of Christ. But those who have obeyed the gospel, they then begin to take a different focus because now that they've entered into this relationship with Christ in the correct context and setting of within the church, they then can begin to focus on the faith. Go on over to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, I might have a little bit of a shorter sermon for you today. And we begin to get some understanding here, although I say that and I got notes, I got notes all over the place. <laughs> I got stuff written everywhere. Colossians chapter 1, 
So we're working on the idea of sanctification. It says, And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Remember, we just got done talking about those who became, uh, who were, became Christians and were added to the church, right? They were reconciled. He says this, verse 22, how it played out. He says, In the body of his flesh, through death, remember I said Jesus shed his blood on the cross for the remission of sins. This is how we were reconciled. It says, to present you, here's the word sanctified again. Here it is translated as holy, same Greek word. To present you holy or sanctified and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Let me pause for a minute. How could a Christian say that? Guys, the very moment I became a Christian uh, and I was baptized for the remission of my sins, knowing that Jesus shed his blood for the remission of sins, when I come up out of the water after obeying the gospel, I'm, I'm cleansed. And so I am. I'm unblameable. I literally am sanctified. I literally am holy. Now, we're going to show that my goal is then to continue to be sanctified. But at that very start, it's like coming up with a white, with a white outfit on, right? The goal is to make sure that I don't get blemished again. It's going to happen, but my goal is to not get blemished. It goes on in verse 23. Well, actually, let me go back one verse because I want to pick these up together again. He says, In the body of his flesh, through death to present you holy, or sanctified, and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Verse 23, If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, you guys see how this is all playing over again with 1 Peter 1, Which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature. Why was it preached to every creature? Well, again, that's how people are called, 2 Thessalonians 2.14. So we're going to preach the gospel. Faith comes by hearing, Romans 10.17. I know I'm just rattling verses off by memory, guys, but the scriptures are just so lined up together that you really can't miss what's going on here. And it was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. One who has obeyed the gospel has been sanctified through Christ, and then he needs to continue the process of sanctification. Again, the idea is, is when I become a Christian, I was baptized for the remission of sins. I don't have sins. I'm a, I'm a brand new creation in Christ. We're going to talk about that for a minute. But my goal is as I walk as a Christian is not to get wrapped up in sin again. Again, we know that we will. Romans 3.23, all men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we've been given a way to deal with that, which is to repent of that and turn back to faithfulness. And again, the blood continues to cleanse. And so as we talk about the idea of sanctification, the first thing we've got to understand is, is there is a starting point for sanctification. That starts when I become a Christian there within the body of Christ. But then that process of sanctification continues on. Okay? So sanctification with that understanding needs to be viewed in two different senses. Here's the first. Sanctification begins with God, and that's His plan for all men. Notice 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20. It says, For ye are bought with a price. Remember, Jesus, Jesus came to save all men. We already mentioned uh, John three sixteen and 17. Uh, and He paid the price. So salvation is available to all. Okay? Therefore, because of this, Glorify God in your body and in your spirit. That's both the inner and outer part of me, dual, my dual creation, which are God. So here's the first part. God plays a part in sanctification. He's the one that came up with the plan. He's the one that 
sent our Savior to die on the cross for us, to shed His blood for the remission of sin so we could even have the possibility of being sanctified. But here's the second part. Sanctification requires personal action on my part. That's exactly what Peter was saying in Acts chapter 2 when he said, Save yourselves. Right? There's something that we have to do. I'm going to read from uh, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1. Notice this. We're going to find the word sanctified here again, but it's not translated as sanctified. It says, Having therefore these promises... Dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Notice this, perfecting holiness. That is the Greek word there, hagias, uh, or, or a, a version of that word. It's translated as holiness. Perfecting holiness, or you could call this perfecting sanctification in the fear of God. Now you may say, how exactly is it that we cleanse ourselves? Listen to 2 Corinthians 6, 17 through 18. So you're going to have to flip back one page. He tells us, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Remember when I gave you the definition for sanctification? I said it's, it's being set apart or uh, set, on, set aside for God's, uh, on God's behalf. That's what he's saying here. Same thing with the, the word church, ecclesia, the called out ones, the set apart ones. He says, And be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Here's the point. Man has to choose to be holy. We have to choose to be set apart on God's or for God's behalf. That starts within the church. It starts within being added to the body and having an understanding that when we become Christians, Guys, whether, whether you've gone out and whether you've murdered people, whether you have uh, whatever that most heinous sin is that you committed, that is completely forgiven when you faithfully obey the gospel, right? You come up out of that water as a Christian, as a new creation in Christ. And some people say you spend so much time on, on baptism. I place as much emphasis on faith and believing and repentance as I do on baptism. The Bible talks about a number of things required for us, but we do find that baptism is the culminating act in every conversion account. And Jesus has told us we need to do it. That's when we contact the blood. So my first, my first point really is this. If you're watching this and you're not a Christian, you can never be sanctified until you become a Christian. There is a place of sanctification and a way that you get to uh, enter into that body. Now we need to talk a little bit about practical sanctification for those who have already become Christians. Go on over to 1 Peter 1. We're going to start in verse 13. We will actually find this word here, uh, which is translated as sanctified. We're going to find this word four times here in this passage we're going to look at. And at no time is it actually translated as the word sanctified. Notice here, 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be bought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children. Notice how this again goes right back to 1 Peter 1.22. He says, Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. Here's where we find uh, this phrase twice. But as he which hath called you is holy, that word there is sanctified. So be ye holy or sanctified in all manner of conversation. Notice again, it's mentioned twice. Because it is written, be ye holy or sanctified, for I am holy. What's he saying? Now that I'm a Christian, 
Now that I came up out of the water, now that I've been added to the church, just like we find there in Acts 2, verse 47, now that I was cleansed, I can't go back and live like I once did. Because He is holy, I have to choose to be holy. That's now my goal. My goal is to be sanctified. Go on over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul gives us more information on this. And again, we do find this same Greek word here. Here it is translated as sanctified. He gives us more understanding about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 9. He says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Let me say this. If you are unrighteous, you are not sanctified. If you are unrighteous, you are not holy. If you're unrighteous, you're not justified. You cannot go to heaven. You cannot enter into the kingdom of God in that position, right? And he, Paul makes it very clear. The unrighteous are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. He says, Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. I'm not going to spend any time on here, but that is... How do I delicately say? That is, that is both participating partners in a, a homosexual act, uh, the masculine and the feminine. He says, Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now let me pause real quick. Some may say, I've done some of those things. Is that going to keep me out of heaven? Or I've done some of those things. Would that keep me out of the church? Notice Paul's response here to the church in Corinth. And such were some of you. Some of you that Paul's talking to, right, they've done these things. He says, but ye are washed. What's he talking about? Well, you can go back to Ephesians 5.25, which we've already looked at. Remember, we were washed by the water, washed of, washing of water by the word, right? Same thing in uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Same thing over in John 3.5 when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. He goes on. He says, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified as Christians... Right? You've been cleansed. You used to do those things, but you don't do those things anymore. And because you don't do those things anymore, we could go back to 1 Peter 1.22. You're obeying the truth, right? He says you are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now go on over to James chapter 1. What he's saying is, is now that you're Christians, you can't do those things anymore. Not if you want to be set apart. Not if you want to be sanctified. James 1, 21, we'll read down to verse 25. He's going to again go back and focus on the Word which we obey, same as in 1 Peter 1, 22, so that we can be sanctified. And James just approaches it from a little bit of a different angle. He says, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. I know we don't use that phrase very often anymore, but just don't go out and do those things that you shouldn't be getting involved in. Being extra, extra naughty. And receive with meekness the engrafted word. Why do I need to receive this engrafted word? Well, remember Peter told us, but James says it here, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Guys, I could quote all of these verses. We had to memorize so many verses that we were told, you know, if you got punched in the stomach, a verse should come out. I could quote verses all day long, but if I don't do what the word says, I, I show myself to be a hypocrite, right? So I can't just hear it, and I can't just quote it to other people. I need to literally be doing it. He says, And not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's showing how Ill illogical this is, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass, that's an antiquated word for mirror, 
For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Should be looking in the mirror and saying, I'm a Christian. And because of that, I realize I need to, I need to obey the truth here. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, the perfect law of liberty, go over to Matthew. Actually, I usually show you guys the first page right before. Go over to where it actually says New Testament, your blank page, most important page. This perfect law of liberty, the law that sets us free, starts in Matthew, right? We don't live under the Old Testament in any regard. I'm not a Jew. I don't sacrifice animals. I don't have Levitical priests leading worship. I'm a Christian. I live according to the New Testament, right? This is our perfect law of liberty. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. What's he saying? You need to get your minds right. Now that you're Christians, you've got to get your minds right. You go over to 1 Peter 3.15. We're going to find the word here, sanctify again, the Greek word. It actually is translated as sanctify. It says, 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now this word sanctify here in 1 Peter 3.15, uh, He's trying to get across the idea of being holy. Here in the Greek, this is uh, aorist active. You may say, I don't know what that means. In context and in the passage and the use of the Greek word, what he's saying is, is this sanctification has to be an ongoing process. It's not a one-time thing. There are some people that say, okay, you became a Christian, and from this point on, you can't lose your salvation. That's not what the Greek word means here, and there's, we've already looked at so many verses that are talking about continuing in the faith, obeying the word. What he's talking about here is, is this process of holiness or sanctification, certainly it does have a starting point. We've looked at that. That happens within the church, but the process of sanctification continues on as a Christian, and it is an ongoing process. That's why Paul had to go back and say, all of those things that you used to do, can't do those anymore, Right? This is a process that is being played out. So when we obey the gospel, we die to sin. Going over to Romans chapter 6, I kind of touched on this earlier, but we're kind of coming back around to it. We died to sin when we became Christians, okay? And when we came up out of that water and we decided we were going to follow Christ, we made the decision that we're going to now have a new life. We're going to do things differently, right? We are pledging to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be holy. Notice in Romans 6, starting in verse 4, Paul writes to the church there in Rome by inspiration. He says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. He's saying we're killing off the old man, right? I wasn't literally, I was buried in water, but you know, I'm fully going down. I'm killing off the old man. I'm going to rise up the new man. He goes, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So I'm going to kill off the old man. That's why baptism is commanded and why it's part of this uh, playing back out of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. I'm killing off the old man, but when I come up out of that water, which is for the remission of sins, and I'm cleansed, I'm then going to choose to live as this new man. He goes on in verse 5, why? And why can I have confidence in this walking in newness of life? For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, right, fully being immersed, He says, we shall also in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, 
that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Right? I'm sanctified now. I can't think like that, and I can't go back to the way that I was. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. So to live with Christ is to walk in newness of life. What he's saying is, is sanctification requires a new path. It requires a new way. Going over to Matthew 7, 13, most wouldn't use this passage here. I don't really think you could get any clearer, and that's why I'm going to use it. What is this new path? What is this new way? Well, I'm going to go back to what Jesus has to say. <clears throat> I won't read verses uh, 21 and 22 that go along with it, but you might cite those in your notes because uh, very clearly we understand there, there are a lot of people that aren't going to go to heaven. In Matthew 7, 13, when we talk about the new way, the new path I need to follow as a Christian, Jesus says this, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. There is a way for the unsanctified. Matter of fact, it's a, it's a big wide open gate. Lots of people are going that way. But there's a new path, a path for the followers of Christ. It's going to be a narrow straight gate. He says, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Sanctification is accessed through the straight and narrow gate. And remember, we saw in 1 Peter 1.22, this is how we are purified by the obeying of the truth. You understand that the narrow way, the straight way, is the obeying of the truth. You see how this is all starting to tie in together, I hope, here? So not only do we avoid sinfulness and worldliness and many of those things that would cause us to be unsanctified, we specifically pursue godliness and holiness. Sanctification is our personal submission to God. And that's part of this new creation that I've, I've vowed to be when I become a Christian. But it's also interwoven with congregational submission to God. Going over to Ephesians chapter 4. We're actually going to look and stay there in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at three different sections of passage. I wanted to read the entire chapter, but I'm not going to have time for that. So what I'm going to do is just read a couple select verses, and then I'm going to give you some notes. And I, actually, I did put them in your notes so you can follow my, my viewpoint here. Again, sanctification is our personal submission to God, but it's interwoven with congregational submission to God. Remember, I said the whole starting place of sanctification has to occur within the church. You can't get around being sanctified if you're not a Christian. Follow along Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, again by inspiration, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation. Let me pause. My vocation is Christianity. Uh, I have a secular vocation also that I do, but my vocation is Christianity, right? He says, wherewith ye are called. How was I called? I already mentioned that to you earlier. 2 Thessalonians 2.14, we're called by the gospel. Makes perfect sense. My vocation is a Christian, and I am called through the gospel to be a Christian, which adds me to the church, Acts 2, verse 47, which is where this place of sanctification occurs. He goes on. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Remember, we're talking about the body. He says specifically, there is one body. Guys, the body is the church. Colossians 1.18, I didn't put that in your notes, but it literally says the body, comma, the church. The body is the church, right? Jesus said He was going to build His church. The church is the kingdom. The kingdom is the body. The body is the church. Those are all synonyms talking about this one place where sanctification occurs. 
There is one body and one spirit. That's unity of revelation. There's one spirit which gave us our inspired scriptures. Even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. We all have the same one hope. We're all trying to get to the same place. That's why we want to be sanctified. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. I hear people talking about a lot of different types of baptism. I've heard baptism in water. I've heard Holy Spirit baptism. Guys, the only baptism we find being played out within our New Testament scriptures uh, for the Christian is this immersion in water. That is the one baptism he's talking about here in Ephesians chapter 4. There's one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Now, I went to tell you all this so I can really quick give you a synopsis of Ephesians chapter 4. Remember, I said there's a personal submission to God, but it's interwoven with the church, right? Congregational submission to God. Here's what we learn in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Sanctification requires individually walking worthy of the gospel and Christ's sacrifice. Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6. Sanctification requires congregationally and as a corporate body being in unity. Guys, we only have one New Testament. And the New Testament teaches very clearly. And it would be insane for Jerry to go out and teach something totally different than I teach when we use the same scriptures. Let me, let me make it even more simple. I, haven't, I, haven't, I don't read a lot of books, but uh, I read this one all the time. But if Jerry and I both read Huckleberry Finn and we both gave a book report, and he gave his on rebuilding engines. Does that have anything to do with Huckleberry Finn? Or, or is it even going to be consistent with my book report on Huckleberry Finn? If we read the same book, we should give the same analysis of the book, right? Especially when we're doing book, chapter, and verse. That's what I'm trying to say. Sanctification requires as, as a congregation and as a corporate body, we have to be in unity on doctrine. Now, we're not talking about things like carpet color and stuff like that. Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 16, we learn sanctification requires working together to build each other up. Now go on over to, we're actually going to read Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. Sanctification requires a new life. That's actually what we're talking about right now. We've been looking at some passages. And it requires us to choose to be set apart. And we learn this here in Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 24. Do you want to be sanctified? Do you want to be set apart as a follower of God? Notice what Paul writes to the church in Ephesus by inspiration. And then we're actually going to go down and read from 25 to 32. I'm almost done, guys. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened. Guys, again, that's not being sanctified. Being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. Again, complete opposite of sanctification. Remember, we were purified through the obeying of the truth. Here he says they're alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man. Guys, that's what we just looked at in Romans 6, 4-8. Remember that? We talked about coming up out of the water, the new creation. Same thing here, same writer. Which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. What's he saying? You need to strive to emulate the image of Christ. Your goal is to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be justified, to be holy. Now, go down one more verse. We'll start reading again. Paul's going to give some practical application for remaining sanctified. 
As Christians, do you want to be holy and sanctified? Paul's going to lay it out for you very simply. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 25. Wherefore, put away, putting away lying, you want to be sanctified, can't do that. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not, right? Can't do that if you want to be sanctified. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, right? Can't do that if you want to be sanctified. But rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, right? Can't do that if you want to be sanctified. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Why? You can't do that if you want to be sanctified. And be ye kind to be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. What's my point? Many people struggle with the idea of sanctification. The sanctified person walks differently from those in the world. When we become Christians, we've already seen we are a new creation. We're going to walk different. We're going to live differently. Now, here's the thing. The world oftentimes doesn't understand uh, our sanctification. They don't understand why, why we are the way that we are. Let me give you... I only have two more verses here on my notes, and then I'll give you a few by memory. 1 Peter 4, 3 through 5. The world doesn't always get our sanctification. For the times past of, of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness and lust and excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, right? In my former life, what he's saying is, is we were unsanctified, we were unjustified, we weren't righteous. Now notice he goes on. Wherein they, he's talking about those that do these things, but we don't, where they think it's strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, Speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. Some people simply don't understand why we believe what we believe. They don't understand why we live the way that we live, and many don't understand why it is we teach what it is that we teach. But there's also the flip side of the coin. There are some who do understand exactly what it is that we're saying, but they don't like it because it reveals their own error. There are a number of things the Scripture clearly uh, does not allow, which are heavily promoted today within our society. I'm not going to go back and list them. Uh, but you can't get around the fact that they're clearly sinful. And yet you'll have people that will tell you you're the one with the problem. You're, you're the one who has the issue because you're telling them they ought not to do it. They don't understand the process of sanctification. Let me end with this last passage here, or this last verse. Go over to Romans 1.7. And this one really ought to be probably... And hopefully you'll not forget this. This really ought to define who you are. Christians are saints. Romans 1.7, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Here's what's interesting. That word saints, that's that word hagias. That's the word sanctified. That's the word holy. That's the word that means set apart. To be set apart or sanctified on God's behalf. Now let me read it again. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, we're talking about Christians, called to be sanctified, to be holy, to be set apart. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You are called to be a saint. 
More specifically, you are called to be sanctified. You are called to be holy. How are we called? Again, 2 Thessalonians 2.14, through the gospel. What does the gospel teach us? How to be sanctified, how to be set apart, how to be holy, how to be without blame. Guys, I covered an awful lot of stuff, but does it make sense? Let me, let me just really quickly resummarize all of that I've said. I guess I could have done this sermon in one minute. You want to be sanctified? You've got to be a Christian. There's only one place of sanctification. That's within the body of Christ. That happens when you become a Christian. And when you come up out of that water, you're this new creation in Christ. And because our God is holy, we have to be holy. We have to be sanctified and set apart. And so that drives everything that we do. And as we noticed in 1 Peter 1, we are purified by the obeying of the truth. The first two times I wrote this sermon, it didn't seem quite so simple. But now as I've given it to me, I don't think it could be any more simple than that. So let me leave you with this question. If you're here and you're a Christian, you're a saint, are you truly striving to be holy, to be sanctified, to be set apart? Are you setting your life apart from sin so you can be used in service to God? My concern as I draw this to a close, I, know I normally give all the verses. I don't have time. I went long. But I will cite them for anybody who is taking notes or watching this online. Our goal is for everyone to be a Christian. What I want you to do to become a Christian is not my own opinion. What I want you to do is open your Bible up, go to conversion accounts, look where people became Christians, and here's what happened in every account. Somebody was teaching the gospel, like I am. The reason is because Rome, uh, in Romans 10, 17, we learn faith comes by hearing. You have to hear the Scriptures to understand who Jesus was, to know why He came, why He shed His blood, why the church was established. If you don't believe that, you're going to die in your sins. That's what Jesus says in John 8, 24. And so because you understand what sin is, you're willing to repent of your sin as Jesus commands. Luke 13, verses 3 and 5. Normally I cite all these by memory, but I will not. It's not enough to hear the Word of God. It's not enough to know who Jesus was and to simply believe. You'll have people teach that. But you also find you need to repent, as we've already seen Jesus commands it. You need to confess Christ. I will quote this one, Romans 10, 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Most people stop right there. But with, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's part of salvation. That's why we see the Ethiopian eunuch uh, confessing Jesus as his Lord before he is, finally the last step, immersed in water for the remission of sins. Jesus commands it in Mark 16, 16. Peter teaches it in Acts 2, verse 38. We also find it's how we get into Christ, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. We talked about how it is a burial in water, emulating the death of Christ, Romans 6, 3 through 4. It literally says in our scriptures that baptism saves, 1 Peter 3, 21. And I could cite a bunch more just by memory. That's enough. You hear the word, you believe it, you obey the gospel, and you are immersed in water. When you do that, the Lord adds you to the church, Acts 2, verse 47. At that point, you enter into this relationship with Christ, and you are sanctified. And then all you have to do, it's not hard, just live faithful the rest of your life. How many of you guys think you're going to go the rest of your life without sinning? It's not going to happen. And that's why we're told we can repent of it, we can continue to walk in the light, 1 John 1, 7 through 9, and His blood will continue to cleanse. We can at all times know we are sanctified, and we at all times can be in a righteous relationship with God the Father. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I'd love to talk to you about it. If you're watching this online, you can email us or contact us. If you are here and there's a way we can help you in any way, or if you need prayers of the congregation, you can simply come forward as we stand and we're long led in a song of invitation.